So a man took a tour of the Holy Land with his wife and mother-in-law. And while they were on the tour, tragically, the mother-in-law died. Everybody go, oh. So the man speaks with the undertaker, and the undertaker says, look, um, it will cost over $10,000 to have your brother-in-law brought back to the United States. But we can do a very lovely funeral here, right in Israel, for about $1,000. And the man says, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to ship her back to the States. And the undertaker says, oh, that's really a large expense. Really, we would do a very respectful burial right here. It would be very proper. And the man says to the undertaker, look, 2,000 years ago, they buried a guy here, and three days later, he rose again. <laughs> I just can't take that chance. Prior to today's passage from Acts chapter 2, the early Christian movement didn't seem to have much of a chance either. I mean, yes, Jesus had risen from the dead. Yes, Jesus has spent 40 post-resurrection days teaching among the disciples. But then, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he was gone. Again. What would the first disciples do? Well, actually, in fact, they did very little. They did not preach the gospel. They did not tell other people about Jesus. They did not serve the poor. Forty days, they've seen a resurrected Jesus, but they did nothing. Nada. Okay, alright. They did manage the first disciples to get themselves to Jerusalem for the Jewish Harvest Festival. And while they were there, minding their own business, trying to keep a low profile, suddenly out of nowhere, this sound, this howling sound, like a wind, is heard. And it's so loud, and it's so unusual, that it draws this international crowd. Because there are faithful Jews all over the world who have come to Jerusalem, the grand city, the capital city, the site of the temple. They have come there for this festival. And this international crowd then gathers. If this weird wailing of wind was not enough, tons of fire appear above the apostles' head, and they are empowered by the Spirit to speak the foreign languages of all the people in the crowd. Now, I'm going to count to three. And if you speak another language, I want you to say hello, how are you, in that language, when I count to three. So whatever foreign language you know, hello, how are you, say it very loudly, on three. One, two, three. Languages, shout out the names of the languages we just heard. French. Russian. Spanish. Spanish. So we heard many different languages. Great, wonderful. And there's probably more that we could hear. Now, back to the first Pentecost. Bizarre, tons of fire, wailing wind, supernatural languages. How many of you think that sounds kind of bizarre? Raise your hand. You think that, yeah. Alright. It seemed quite bizarre to the people who first experienced Pentecost as well. This international crowd that had gathered. In fact, Peter, the head of the disciples, uh, preaches. Now, he wasn't planning 
going to preach. He had no sermon prepared. But this was a Holy Spirit opportunity. He gets up to preach. But he gives a disclaimer to his comments. And his little disclaimer has been a source of great humor in the church for 2,000 years. I saw some of you smile when you heard it the first time. Chapter 2, 14-15. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. Add your own commentary here. He then, in this impromptu sermon that he wasn't really prepared for, he talks about the prophet Joel, which this international audience of Jewish believers would be familiar with. And he says, to give you the super downside summary of the sermon, because it goes on for a while, but he basically tells us that the words of the prophet Joel have been fulfilled by who? Yes. Jesus, not a hard one to come up with, yes. He says, through the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And then he goes on and says various other things. But then what happens? 3,000 of this international crowd respond. They accept Christ. They are baptized. And then they bring the gospel with them back to the nations from which they came. And so, Shazam! The Christian movement, which didn't have a chance, in one moment suddenly becomes this huge growing concern. Growing all across the Mediterranean world. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Sparked by the descent of the Holy Spirit. And now, for another joke. So a man is concerned, very concerned, Sully. Very concerned that his wife has a hearing problem. So he's in the living room and she's doing something at the kitchen sink. He says, honey, nothing. So he steps up into the entryway into the kitchen. Honey, can you hear me now? Nothing. So he actually goes right up behind her at the kitchen sink and says, honey, can you hear me now? And his wife says, for the third time, yes. Think about it. For the third time, yes. Now I have a true or false statement for you. Tell me whether it's true, whether it's false. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. True. That's true. The Trinity, the Christian understanding of God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Professor Amy Oden, who's a scholar of Christian spirituality, she has a really interesting observation about this passage. And here is what she says about Acts 2. Quote, The gift of the Holy Spirit that marks the birth of the church is a gift expressly for those outside the Jesus movement. It's a spiritual gift not given for the disciples themselves, but for the outsiders. It seems that one mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is that it empowers us to connect to others. I'll rewind that one. It seems that one mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is that it empowers us to connect to others. End of quote. And so here, friends, is where you are invited to connect to the power of the Holy Spirit, to Acts chapter 2, and to that big old world outside those big old red doors. 
that we have at our church. The Christian movement, whether we're talking about you as an individual, or as a couple, or as a family, or even as a parish family of St. John's, we are called, you are called, and challenged by the Holy Spirit to reach those beyond our walls. Beyond the walls of your home, beyond the walls of your social circles, beyond the walls of your personal comfort zone. Turn to your neighbor and say, outside your comfort zone. Say it in a way that will make them uncomfortable. Try it again. Some of you did really good. You got like right in their faces. So what do we mean reaching those outside our walls? Well, one way that it's been put is this. Reaching by loving, forgiving, and serving your neighbors. Reaching, loving, forgiving, and serving your neighbors. Reaching by inviting, sharing, and befriending others. The seven marks of discipleship. How many of you remember any of the marks of discipleship? We introduced these near the beginning of the year as part of our vision. The marks of discipleship. I'm going to count to three. You all shout out one of the marks that you remember, even if you're not sure how to say it. One, two, three. All right, some people are like, I have no idea what to say. But some of you do, and we'll get back to them. But the seven marks of discipleship are these ancient spiritual habits, these practices that are meant to open you to the power of the Spirit. They are meant to help you become the best version of yourself possible. And they're also designed to equip you for daily missions of love. Alright, question for you. Question. Where do you most demonstrate your Christian faith or your lack of it? Where? Where? Yes, I'm hearing some tentative efforts here. Yeah, outside the building, beyond those doors, is where you most demonstrate your Christian faith or your lack of it. Because it's outside those doors where you demonstrate how you take what you experience here in our community, and then how you live it out. And so you most demonstrate your Christian faith in lots of ways. Your marriage, your relationship, your friendships, your parenting, grandparenting, your work, at school, and the whole rest of your life. Including when you're on the mountain and life is great, you demonstrate your faith there. But you also really demonstrate your faith when you're off the mountain and your life is falling apart and things are not working. That's where you demonstrate your faith. Another question for you. Another question. Is our life as a parish family, is it anchored in the weekly celebration of the Eucharist at this table? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely it is. So, worship weekly. Worship weekly. Let's say that together. Worship weekly. That's the second mark of discipleship. And it is so key because what it means to be a Christian is to be in relationship. Relationship with God and with a people. And so whether you're in town, whether you're traveling somewhere, strive to worship weekly. But, wherever you happen to be, wherever you and I worship on any given Sunday, what happens next? We are then sent out to love and serve the Lord. So... You'll turn to me as I walk back to the door. You don't have to follow me. Just turn to you. 
The birth of a people who are to be sent out into the world for the sake of others for Jesus' sake. And in Jesus' name. So later today, when you go out those doors, go out with the power of the Spirit. Greatness is not required. Only willingness. Perfection is not required. Only progress. Seize those Holy Spirit opportunities that are going to come your way this week. Accept those daily missions of love. And often it ain't easy, but accept those daily missions of love. Because God might just change a life or 3,000 lives because you, you were willing to step outside of those doors in faith. Amen.